Heather solves everything, where Heather takes credit for making the world a better place by introducing you to people who actually are. I used to think that I was a good person. Then I met these folks. Wow. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Heather Solves Everything. This is the show where I take credit for making the world a better place by introducing you to people who actually are. We solve problems on this show, and each week my guests and I talk about the everyday issues of life, how they are solving them, and how we can all tap into our unique strengths to be a problem solver, too. Now, people have been talking about today's show topic for eons and generations, even though we're not supposed to talk about it. But people like Jonathan Swift said in 1712, you can't reason someone out of something he or she was not reasoned into. We're talking about something that makes us feel emotional, sometimes angry, defensive, and hopefully a sense of community when we do it correctly. Another quote about today's topic from Mark Twain. I'm quite sure now that often and very often in matters concerning religion and politics, a man's reasoning powers are not above a monkey's. That's right, guys. We are talking about religion and politics with my good friend, the Reverend Sheldon Steen, back in the studio today to talk about um, what we're not supposed to talk about. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> good well, to be back. Yay, I'm glad you're back. Now, for you guys that don't know Sheldon, he's been working in ministry for 15 years. He's got a Master's of Divinity and a Master's of Theology from Columbia Theological Seminary. He began his professional work in youth and college ministry. After serving as a parish associate at Faith Presbyterian Church here in Tallahassee, he directed the campus ministry at Ukirk, Tallahassee, serving students at Florida State University and Florida A&M University. He joined Christ Presbyterian Church in June of 2020, leading the Northeast Tallahassee congregation through the COVID-19 pandemic at a time when almost every element of our lives, including our spirituality, is politicized. Welcome back to the show, Sheldon. Thank you. So good to be here. I'm hoping to get less hate mail this time around. <laughs> Just kidding. I didn't get any hate mail. So the last time that Sheldon was here, we were talking about legit questions from atheists to Christians, you know, and really just unpacking some of the um, elephant in the room type questions that are important for us to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I want to carry that conversation further into religion and politics, because the two seem like they just cannot be not connected. Right. right. And I have the, I have another quote uh, that I found really ironic that um, that I want to share. Those that believe that politics and religion aren't connected don't understand either. And the reason why that is funny to me is that I've seen it attributed to both Albert Einstein and Gandhi. <laughs> well, whichever one of those two smart people said it, they are correct. <laughs> I, I agree. So why shouldn't we, well, why do we think we shouldn't talk about religion and politics? Uh, I mean, I think for a lot of reasons. I think both of them feel very personal. 
And it's it, it can be difficult to have conversations about either of them, uh, particularly with people who disagree, who might challenge you without feeling like you are being kind of personally attacked or like your worldview isn't being challenged in important ways. Um, and that can be uncomfortable. And we don't like to be uncomfortable. We like to feel like we've got the answers, like we know what we're doing and who we are. And if that gets upset in any way or challenged in any way, that can yeah be, be a very uncomfortable experience. And we want to avoid that as much as possible. It seems like sometimes the idea of your political beliefs or your beliefs about how government should should work are are kind of black and white in a way like you can see this is right this is wrong mm -hmm. or like it should be this way and not that way and ideas regarding spirituality there's a lot of gray mm. area there well for some people for a lot of people though religion's pretty black and white as well oh that's true right i mean it's believe this and you either go to heaven or hell one mm -hmm. or the other right so there might be some areas of gray within that but for a lot of people, religion is just as black and white. And I think that's that's part of why it can also be so difficult to talk about, because you have people with very strong convictions that come from a very deep place who are saying, this is the way it is, period, end of story. <laughs> and then someone says, well, maybe not. But what about this instead? Right. And so that it can get uh, it can just get complicated and can bring a lot of tension. So I think it is the the kind of binary right, wrong, black, white thing that is part of what makes it so difficult to talk about and can feel like we're just running into a brick wall when we talk to people who think or believe differently. I saw a, um, a joke on Facebook that said something like, when somebody says to a pastor, we don't want politics in church, mm -hmm. what they really mean is we don't want your politics 100%. Yes, that is <laughs> entirely correct. Entirely correct. That most people... When they say that, if they say that, what, what they really mean is you said something from the pulpit that challenged my political views, and that's what I don't like. But if you had said something that was more in line with my political views, chances are you're not going to hear anything either way, right? You're, they're going to say, great message, Pastor. That was wonderful, right? Yeah. And because you're, you're, you get to stay in your comfort zone exactly. and you're just sitting exactly. in right. what we now call an echo chamber where right. you just hear your own ideas. Yep. Repeated right back to you. Right. Totally. Is there a history behind there, this tension between church and state? Sure. I mean, so, you know, I primarily study ancient history. And so from my perspective, when we look at the ancient world broadly, and that's a you know huge overgeneralization, but... There is no real distinction between religion and politics, in part because what we look back on and call religion for many ancient cultures was very much tied up in uh, with the preservation of the state. Part of how we uh, continue to thrive as a nation, as an empire, is by keeping the gods happy, keeping them on our side, right? Or maybe a different way to say it is that if we are victorious in battle, it's because we received divine favor, right? We, we were the recipients of some divine favor for whatever reason. And so there is no clear distinction for most of time, like most of human civilization. In fact, you know, this word religion itself really is a modern concept. Like there is no separate category of religion in the ancient world to speak of. We can look back at certain practices, beliefs that kind of track with what we call religion. And we say, oh, look, that is their religion. Let's call that Judaism. Let's call that Christianity. Let's call that Buddhism. Let's call that Islam. But 
the reality is those are not separate spheres. Those are always intertwined. Now, I think if you were to talk to, say, an early American historian, they could probably give a really interesting insight into how that developed in America, because, of course, we have this, you know, the Establishment Clause. We have this very uh, important idea of the separation between church and state. Yet we also have people who want to claim very loudly and proudly that we were founded on Christian principles and we are a Christian nation and uh, we should be able to pray in school and, and those kinds of things. So there's there's a, a kind of thorniness to that, um, that as we have tried to break them apart and differentiate them, we begin to see more and more how impossible that is. So that even, even people who would say, well, don't talk about politics from the pulpit, um, will support, for instance, policies, laws, or whatever that would essentially impose their religious views onto other people via mechanisms of the state. So there's a bit of, um, I guess, inconsistency, and that's true for all of us, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that because I'm consistent in what I believe. We are all inconsistent in what we believe and how we live that out and how we express it. So to me, that's why we need to talk about these things more, is because we are inconsistent because it's confusing because it's complicated and this idea of completely ignoring this stuff in my view only makes it worse only make only pushes us further apart rather than create space where we can find some common ground and maybe do some good things yeah it's been said that sunday morning is the most segregated time yeah. day of the week that's and right. time of the week and i think that's true you know in in a lot of demographics you mm -hmm. know i think that you know, that original thought was regarding race, right. but I think it's also, yes. you know, politically aligned yes. you know, for the has, most part. That has become even more true in the past decade or two as well. I mean, all of the political science research is very clear that we are more ideologically polarized than we've been possibly ever in American history, you know, at least close to ever. Now, we've been incredibly polarized in other ways, you know, like segregation and those kinds of things. We've created things to uh, like intentionally create polarization. But in terms of just how we think and how we express our political identities in the world, it is absolutely the case that uh, more and more, it's not just, it's not just uh, you know, along racial lines. Now it's the neighborhoods we live in as well are more ideologically sorted than ever before. The churches we attend, the social groups that we participate in, our social media networks, all of those things have become so sorted along partisan political lines that we are just so much further apart from each other than we've been possibly ever in at least our lifetime. I hope that we can start taking some steps towards the middle because as we continue this conversation, we're going to discover how much there is to gain when we are willing to be vulnerable and challenge what we think might be true or not true you're listening to heather solves everything i'm doing my best guys i'm gonna try on this one uh, it's coach healthy heather <laughs> stay with us we'll be right back Hey guys, it's Healthy Heather from Heather Solves Everything. I want to thank my sponsor, Kylene and Ryan Studios, a local husband and wife photography team who specialize in weddings and portraits of all kinds. Whatever special event you have coming up, they're your photographers for life. With a combined 32 years of professional photography experience, their unique perspectives shine through in every image you see. Find out more at KyleenAndRyan.com. That's KyleenAndRyan.com. 
Welcome back, everybody. It's Coach Healthy Heather. You're listening to Heather Salt's Everything. I'm here with my friend, the Reverend Sheldon Steen. And be, quite, be careful, guys, because we're talking about politics and religion. I know, but I can't resist because this is a problem-solving show, and we've got a big problem, guys. We have a really hard time talking about politics and religion without it becoming an emotional conversation. And, I mean, you can't blame us too much. We're only human. Speaking of humans, I have another quote by a human (laughs) who we should not judge too harshly because, you know, when I read things that important people have said, and and I try to remember the context the time, mm-hmm. you know, like what was going on in the world. We can't take words out and isolate them too much. And also, we're all flawed and sometimes sure. look back on our words and think, oh, my gosh, I said that. This particular quote is so there's so much going on that you can swim in the words <laughs> and and there's so much to unpack. So this is a quote by Ronald Reagan. And he said, listen up, guys, this is a big one. You got to stay with me. Politics and morality are inseparable. And as morality's foundation is religion, religion and politics are necessarily related. We need religion as a guide. We need it because we are imperfect. And our government needs the church because only those humble enough to admit they are sinners, can bring to democracy the tolerance it requires in order to survive. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Yeah, that's... uh, that's There's a lot there. There's like three master's theses... Oh, yeah, for sure. ...in here. I mean, connecting that, you know, connecting religion and morality for one thing, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, that that if... If you are not religious, is he saying that if you are not religious, then you are immoral? It sounds like it. Yeah, that, you know, you have to, in order to really be truly moral, that has to come from religion. Right. Right. And then also that the government needs the church Mm -hmm. because only those who are humble enough to admit they're sinners, which I would interpret as Christians. Yeah. And use the language of church. Right. Right. Can bring to democracy the tolerance it requires to survive. So without Christians, the government collapses. Yeah, well, thank God for us. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you people out there, I'm a Christian pastor. You're welcome. I saved America. That's a lot of responsibility. (laughs) I mean, I feel like that's a lot of responsibility. (laughs) But I think this is a real nice example Mm -hmm. of how tangled up these ideas can get and how they're obviously connected Mm -hmm. and it's a conversation that befuddles all of us right and that you know even some of our most respected and revered leaders in in history can't separate them oh for sure well and and president reagan is right they are deeply intertwined in a way that i mean they are inseparable and so our attempt to try to separate them is a problem the question is how we have conversations about those two things, right? And that's where it gets tricky. And there's there's a lot in that quote that I might want to quibble <laughs> with, but but he is right. I mean, they, they are inseparable. There's no way for me to talk about my political beliefs and ideas without talking about my faith and, and vice versa, right? And I do think a big part of the problem too 
is that when we talk about politics, what we really mean is partisan politics, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think what part of what we need to do is to be able to broaden the conversation to rethink what we mean by politics, not simply are you a Republican, Democrat, or otherwise, or are you conservative, liberal, progressive, libertarian, whatever, but instead to, to talk about like the actual policies that we create and the kind of world that we create, the kind of society and culture that we create, and think about that, uh, think about that in terms of politics more so than, you know, who'd you vote for? Right. Right. Because that's when we say politics, that's typically all we mean. But when I mean when I say politics and religion are inseparable and intertwined, I want to I want to think a bit more broadly about it. Now, the partisan stuff does come into play, of course, because that's going to determine a lot. But we also need to think more than I think that's why people get so upset mm -hmm. is that when they feel that their politics, quote unquote, are being challenged, what they really mean is you're challenging my kind of partisan identity. And it is a big part of our identity. Mm -hmm. It is, absolutely. Especially in a culture where we are so um, transparent right. about our beliefs and our, you know, people go on social media and change their profile yep. picture to represent their political affiliation. That's right. And so when somebody, uh, you know, seemingly attacks that or questions that, mm -hmm. then I think defensiveness is, is yeah. a natural first response. Totally. There's, so there's a, a political scientist named Liliana Mason who has a book called Uncivil Agreement. It's a phenomenal book. And she talks about partisan identity now functioning as what she calls a mega identity. Mm -hmm. So in other words, all you, like if you tell me who you voted for, I can, not me literally, but a political scientist could tell you, easily another 10 things about you without mm -hmm. knowing anything, mm -hmm. right? They can say, okay, you're a white woman and you're, I'm going to say in your late twenties to be respectful. Uh, <laughs> and you voted for this person. Okay. Now I know this, 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 I know what neighborhood you probably like the kind of neighborhood you live in. I know your basic salary range, like all of that, because, because it's again, that sorting question mm -hmm. because of the last few decades in particular, we've become so sorted into these ideological camps that partisanship becomes a like a really key identity marker. So when our politics get come are called into question, our identity is called into question, Absolutely. including our religious identity. Oh yeah, I mean I I have fallen victim to it myself. Um, just in you know the COVID conversations of talking about masks and vaccines, mm -hmm. and I've yeah. caught myself yeah. lumping people into categories right. based on one data point. And then being delightfully surprised right. to discover that I was wrong about that. Yes. And, and that, you know, these things don't necessarily follow because of this one choice that right. somebody made. Right. And, you know, we're all guilty of that. For sure. And I, I hope that we can acknowledge that over time mm -hmm. and continue listening rather than automatically uh, categorizing somebody right. like they're in a card catalog at Absolutely. the library. Because yeah. individual people are always more complicated than the group to which they belong. Man, right? people are complicated. Always, always. <laughs> Speaking of complicated people, as the as the pastor of a church, mm -hmm. um, when you come into a new congregation of people that um, are, like we like to call our church, a purple church. That's right. You know, we're not red or blue. We've got red and blue in the mix. Yep. Um, and during a politicized, a time of politicized, you know, kind of heated conversations, mm -hmm. what is your role as the pastor? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. I, I feel like the pastoral role shifts a lot depending on like what's happening. Um, one of the, one of the things that you will often hear, at least in kind of preacher circles, is that one of the primary jobs of a preacher is to 
comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Ooh. Right? So people who are downtrodden or are grieving, mourning, they, they need that, that source of comfort and that hope and all of that kind of stuff. But people like me who are super privileged and comfortable and doing just fine, I need someone to shake me up a little bit and to make me uncomfortable and to force me to ask new questions. Not to be told exactly how to think, right? But to have someone, and, and this is how I think of my role as a pastor, at least in terms of preaching, is to try to force people to ask new questions of themselves, of our text, and of the world around us. So I'm generally not, at least not explicitly, I, I probably do without intending to, but I'm generally not trying to convince you to think in a particular way, but I do want you to leave church on Sunday going, huh, I need to think about that, you know, whether it's a different way of reading a scriptural text or something that we're talking about a big issue in the world, um, to be able to, yeah, just force those questions and hopefully spark some conversation. It's hard to spark the conversation, though, because most churches don't want to have those conversations. And even in our church, there are some who really do and some who really, really don't, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So finding that right balance of trying to create that space is difficult. And I mean, I don't know how good I am at it or not, but I do think it's, it's a really important thing for churches to do because what tends to happen in purple churches in particular is we're so afraid of upsetting people that we don't talk about anything. Mm -hmm. The message is Jesus loves you, God is good, go home. Right. That's it, right? Or be nice to each other, <laughs> which is good. We should be nice to each other. But I'm sorry, like the world is not going to change because I'm nicer. You know, like that's an important piece of it. But I've seen some really nice people create what I would say are really terrible policies, right? And they do it with a smile and they're polite and they're genuine, right? But we've done some really, really bad stuff while also being nice and polite and showing the rules of decorum and those mm -hmm. kinds of things, you know? It's okay to have our feathers ruffled once in a while. We and need we need that. And I think it's also okay to reach over and try to smooth the feathers of, of, of those next to us with understanding and, and with a, an attempt to connect. When we come back from the break, we're going to hear some of Sheldon's do's and don'ts about talking about politics and church. Stay with us. It's Heather solves everything. We'll be right back. Thank you to my sponsor, AK Social Strategies, a locally and woman-owned business that provides social media and email marketing for small businesses. Every client feels the love when their social media is curated thoughtfully and personally. With purpose and intention, social media is a business must have, but it's time consuming and ever changing. Let AK Social Strategies take the wheel. Find them on Facebook. Just search for AK Social Strategies. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Heather Solves Everything. This is Coach Healthy Heather. We are talking about politics and religion with Reverend Sheldon Steen of Christ Presbyterian Church here in Tallahassee. And um, I am really loving looking up what famous people have said about politics and religion. 
And this quote from Susan B. Anthony, I had to look for a while to find something from a woman. (laughs) But she says, I distrust those people who know so well what God wants them to do because I notice it always coincides with their own desires. And I thought, well, I mean, yeah. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got me, Susan. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, that really made me think about, you know, how we how we talk about these religious topics with each other in a way that also keeps us from bumping into each other too Mm -hmm. much, you know, and and trying to incorporate, you know, consideration and compassion and respect for each other's opinions while also um, wanting to, I think that there's always an element of wanting to make sure that you feel understood, Mm -hmm. you know, and that, that people understand you, you know, right. And so I wonder, you must have some do's and don'ts when it comes to talking about politics in church. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's difficult. And, you know, it's for me, number one, the number one rule, I think, is, you know, my job, again, is not to tell people how to think. It's certainly not to tell them how to vote. Right. Um, so I should never be partisan in my approach. And I mean, for legal reasons as well. Right. Um, but I should never be up there clearly endorsing a candidate um, or a party or a platform, right? So that's that's a pretty big don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I mean, my job is supposed to be to speak the truth, right? So like I'll use January 6th as an example. We have this huge, uh, you know, insurrection, riot, whatever you want to call it at the Capitol. And that Sunday, I am walking in the sanctuary. I'm like, how can I not talk about this? This is a huge thing that happened that everyone is thinking about, because how could we not? It was terrifying. It was an insane thing. And so we have to be able to talk about this in church in some way. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, I mean, we, I got a few negative reactions to, you know, how I, how I talked about it, even as careful as I tried to be. Um, so, cause you're, and you're always going to get that. So number one is, you know, don't be partisan, but number two is, you know, be willing to speak the truth when this, when you feel the truth needs to be spoken. And particularly if you feel led by God, by the Holy spirit to say certain things and, you know, to be re- ready to accept some criticism and mm-hmm. some feedback and to mm-hmm. be okay with that. Yeah. Um, because I would, I would much rather say something that I think is true and get heat for it than to feel like a coward and say nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause that to me feels like a much bigger, like dereliction of duty yes. than, than saying something that might rub someone the wrong way. Um, and, and then, you know, again, I, I think it's about the, the other big do is to speak about it in such a way that is trying to open up conversation and open up dialogue rather than to say, if you think this way or you vote this way, you're not a, a good Christian or even a real Christian at all. And let me tell you, I've I've heard that a lot in my life that, you know, if, if you can if you are a Christian, you must vote this way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, even, you know, we we talk about religion and politics that, you know, no politics in the pulpit, that kind of thing. But like I've worked at churches in the past, like I worked at a, a youth group. I was a intern for a church in college as a very big church. I won't name them, <laughs> but a very big church over in Jacksonville. And they were, it was around the 2004 election, and they were giving these little cards to all of the kids in the youth group that was basically like, you know, these are the two candidates. Here's how they feel about these particular issues. And it wasn't directly saying, vote for this guy, Mm -hmm. but it was pretty darn close. And they're handing it to middle and high schoolers who aren't even voting anyway, except for maybe a couple of the high schoolers. But it was a way of 
creating that sense of identity mm -hmm. of to be Christian means to vote in this particular way and go home and make sure your parents are doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that kind of thing. I mean, that's that's not what I mean when I say we should talk about politics in church at all. That's the complete opposite. We should be uh, we should be able to be upfront about our political ideas or even our political you know, identifications and affiliations, but to be able to have conversation with each other across those lines, seeking that commonality, um, but also, you know, challenging each other, being open to hearing other people's ideas and perspectives, asking questions, you know, not just saying, well, this is correct, but saying, well, this is what I think, but I would love to know what you think and why. And then when someone, you know, gives their perspective, follow up with questions about it. Don't just tell them all the reasons you think they're wrong, right. you know, <laughs> ask some questions and, you know, have, have some, some conversation. And, you know, I will say the times that I have had people approach me about something I've said from the pulpit, nine times out of 10, if we can sit down and have a conversation about it, we end in a great place, right? We end in a wonderful place where there's a different kind of understanding of each other, not just them of me, right? Different mutual understanding of, of each other's perspectives. Um, unfortunately, the thing that really like bothers me or hurts me, I guess, is when someone just says, well, you said this, so I'm out. Mm -hmm. And they just, they just leave. And there's no conversation about it. There's no follow-up. There's no let's work through this or talk about this. And inevitably, they end up in a congregation that is, quote-unquote, not political, but what do you know happens to share their exact same political views, right? Right. So trying to <laughs> have those conversations and trying to do all of that from the pulpit is very, very challenging. Uh, but I, but I think it's, it's ultimately important. And, and I'm sorry, like Jesus is super political. Like dude was super political. Like Romans didn't kill you for funsies. You know? <laughs> like they right. didn't, they didn't crucify you because you were telling people to love each other. And because you said being nice is good. Well, you know? speaking of Jesus, you know, Jesus is all over the internet. Yes, he is. He's internet famous. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, we, we had a conversation in our church about Jesus memes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what, first of all, you know, whether or not it is okay to put Jesus yeah. in these positions of like, we're putting words in his mouth of this is what Jesus right. thinks about this, or this is what Jesus would say, you know, to us. Um, and, and also what, how, how do these depictions of Jesus in modern day settings right. reflect our views or help us to communicate with each other? Yeah. And um, and it was a fascinating conversation. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, because meme, you know, memes are meant to be kind of silly or whatever, but they also convey something you know deep about whoever is making them, posting them, sharing them, whatever. And some of them are just silly and out there, but so many of the Jesus memes in particular are uh, you know memes that are created as a way of criticizing someone who you know thinks this way or that way, right? So there's there are some that will have you know Jesus as kind of staunch pro-life gun-loving Republican that is like kind of critical of more progressive Christians or people. And then you'll have the exact opposite that right. is like, you know, Jesus basically saying, well, you know, why aren't you supporting the poor and, you know, giving all these uh, social benefits and, and those kinds of things. And so, you know, the memes themselves don't really tell us anything about Jesus. Right. But they tell us a lot about the people who made them and then the people who are sharing them. Yes. And, and it's, I mean, it's exactly that Susan B. Anthony quote mm -hmm. right, that, you, that you shared before that, um, we we fashion our idea of who Jesus is and the politics that Jesus would espouse really based on <laughs> our understanding of our own politics and our own political identities. Um, Jesus is a, uh, a terribly convenient kind of blank space mm -hmm. for us to 
put our stuff onto. I always wonder kind of like how he feels about that, whether yeah. he's like, oh, humans, <laughs> yeah. or if he's like, dude, that's not cool. Right. You know, like, I always <laughs> just kind of wonder. But, you know, that's, this, there's a history behind mm-hmm. using Jesus's representation to communicate values. Oh, yeah. And you tell a story of what might be the first Jesus meme. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So there's this, uh, there's this cool graffito uh, called the uh, Alex Aminos graffito that was, you know, it's very, very early, I, I think, like late first century. That is basically a there's a relief that they've found because it's kind of carved into a wall, essentially. And they, they've kind of made a relief to where you can see what the image is. And it's an image of a person on a cross. But instead of a, a head, it has a donkey head. And there's, mm. there's a person mm-hmm. kind of standing next to him. And then underneath it, it says Alex Aminos worships his God. And so it was a most historians think this was a kind of early example of anti-Christian propaganda, you know, kind of deriding Jesus as a false god, you know, that, that the people who are worshiping him are, you know, kind of ridiculous and, and whatever. But, but yeah, so this is kind of, you know, perhaps the original Jesus meme mm-hmm. of, you know, taking his image, uh, adding a, a donkey head on, onto it and, you know, carving that onto the side of a wall as, you know, kind of poking fun at Christians, at, at this, you know, quote-unquote new, new religion. Um, and then, I mean, just think about all of the Jesus paintings throughout history. I mean, they're, they're probably better quality than the Jesus memes, but <laughs> there's a lot to that. I mean, those are also their own form of cultural and political communication, right? And so many of our ideas about Jesus, too, like, when, when we're, as we're saying the word Jesus, a lot of people are picturing a light-skinned, you know, light brown hair, blue-eyed Jesus that comes from these, you know, this kind of Renaissance depictions of Jesus, right? right? I mean, th- those are Jesus memes, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's really not that different. They are communicating a certain kind of cultural value and cultural norms that then people take in and you know embrace themselves guys we are a complicated group of people (laughs) i don't know if we're ever going to get it sorted out but i hope that we keep talking about it you are listening to heather solves everything i'm coach healthy heather and i'll be right back after this short break stay with us Hey guys, it's Healthy Heather. You're listening to Heather Solves Everything. This is the show where we tap into your intrinsic strengths to solve the everyday problems of life. And I need your help. If you've got a problem that needs solving, let me know. It just might make it to the show. Go to CoachHealthyHeather.com and click on Solve My Problems. Submit your idea, send it to me, and you never know, it might end up being on an episode of Heather Solves Everything. Welcome back, everybody. It's Coach Healthy Heather, and you're listening to Heather Solves Everything. My guest this week is the Reverend Sheldon Steen of Christ Presbyterian Church, and we are talking about why it's important to talk about politics in church. And I'm just going to lead with that question. Why is it important for us to do this? Yeah, so I think, you know, because people people ask that a lot because they— they don't want to talk about it. It is uncomfortable, as we've said. And, but when, we've, when we look at the, the situation that we're in, we're talking about this intense polarization that we're experiencing right now. The only way for us to overcome that, if we want to, and maybe we don't, maybe, maybe we just say, well, this is the way it is and let's leave it. But if we want to overcome that, the only way to do that is to 
break through those silos that we have, break, break through those, you know, very clear kind of dividing lines and have real conversations with people we love and trust across those dividing lines. Now, to me, church seems like the perfect place to do that. At least it better be, because if we can't have difficult conversations like that in church, what hope do we have to have them anywhere else? That should, to my mind, that should be the one place that we can do that, to where we can, so like in our denomination, for instance, we have this concept called mutual forbearance. Okay. The idea of mutual forbearance is very simply, we both, we come to church together, we worship together, we are in fellowship together, we serve together, do all this stuff together, but I recognize that you think differently than I do about a lot of things, from theology to politics to ethics, all of that. And so we will have conversation with each other about those things. And the mutual forbearance piece comes in, I trust that even though I may disagree with you at the end of the day, I trust that you are doing your best to be faithful and good. And you, likewise, trust that even if you disagree with me at the end of the day, that I am doing my best to be faithful and good. And so it's not about convincing you to think like I do, but there is a depth of relationship that can come out of those conversations. And it it changes the way we can we behave out in the regular world, right? If let's say for for the sake of argument, I am a hardcore Republican and you are a hardcore left-leaning Democrat. In my mind, I have all sorts of associations with who Democrats are, and they're not good, right? right. They're not good associations. But if we have real honest conversations about how each other thinks and why we think that way, that can begin to change the way we think, not only just about you, but also the rest of those crazy Democrats you hang out with, mm-hmm. right? That, and again, that's, that's not going to change the world overnight, but if we are going to address this big issue that keeps driving us further and further apart, and again, the research is clear that we are only going further apart, we're not coming closer together, I think the church can and should be a place that helps fix that problem and brings people together. When it's done well, it's a magical thing. Absolutely. Because I, it does take a certain level of trust mm-hmm. and um, vulnerability. That's right. That's right. You know, to, to be vulnerable with people, you have to be able to trust that they are go- not going to attack you right. when, you're, when you're open. Yep. And being able to have um, you know, conversations that are coming from a place of mutual respect and curiosity. Yes, curiosity, exactly. And humility. To be able to, like, I shouldn't assume that I know it all, right? I shouldn't assume that I know exactly how, how, you know, what the state budget should look like and exactly how we should allocate those resources. I may have some ideas, but we should be able to talk about those things. Is there a time when we shouldn't? Is there a time when the conversation needs to end and we need to move on? Certainly. I mean, I think there are definitely, I mean, these are emotional topics and there will be times that it might get heated and it, it might there might be conflict. And so there certainly are times that we need to pull back and say, you know what, we're OK for now. Let's let's agree to continue to love each other and walk away. But I, I also one of the things that really deeply formed me in my training for ministry was my, my time at a, a church when I was in seminary called Oakhurst Presbyterian in Decatur, Georgia. And they they talked about politics all the time. They talked about race all the time. It's a very intentionally diverse church doing all sorts of great anti-racism work, all this kind of stuff. They, re- they talk about conflict as a good, certain kinds of conflict, not any conflict, right? But conflict can be transformative. Conflict can be generative. 
when done right and when handled well. So, so many of our churches are just trying to avoid conflict. And then what happens is we have these terrible, awful, unhealthy, gross conflicts that break things apart, when instead we should be looking for ways to create good conflict, good conflict that leads to good conversation, that leads to genuine transformation. I wonder if um, pastors who are humans Mm -hmm. and have opinions about, you know, their own personal Mm -hmm. perspectives on things, but then in their role as a leader of a congregation, you know, need to moderate conversations without really being overly, you know, without their personal opinions coming out. And so I wonder if um, if you guys just go home and like scream into a pillow or something. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> like call all of your like-minded friends. Yeah, yeah, and for vent. sure, for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, and there, you know, I've I've got a good group of pastor friends that I can you know text after a rough day and be like, <laughs> "This is crazy," you know, and, and do that kind of venting with you know. Well, yeah. I, I think that there's a lot to be said for being with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah. and we don't always need to be in a place where we're challenged. You know that. Yes. that you know, our, those muscles need a break sometimes. Right. Well, it's, sometimes it's just good to be reminded, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only right? one who thinks this way <laughs> because I was starting to think maybe I was crazy. <laughs> or maybe we're all crazy. Or maybe we're all yeah. crazy. That's right. <laughs> well, guys, you know, it's, a, it's an important conversation to have, and I want you to be able to have those conversations with confidence and also um, going into different environments knowing that you've got the skills to have difficult conversations. And so get ready. I'm about to get coachy on you. Do you avoid certain topics because the conversation is going to get heated? Do you dread family gatherings because you're worried that eventually you're going to get to politics and then all the happy fun time will be over? It can be difficult to keep your cool when you feel attacked or misunderstood, especially when you're talking with people who you care about and whose opinion of you is important and who you want to have see you in a positive light. Here are some ideas that can help. First of all, as much as you can, we got it. We got to let go of having to be right. I think that we've seen and heard in our conversation today that there are a lot of opinions that uh, that we try to convince ourselves are fact. And most of the time, the most important thing is that everyone feels heard. Discussing different perspectives is about learning and not convincing necessarily. And some of the most creative solutions can come from embracing and truly exploring different points of view. It's also really important to ask permission to talk about the difficult things. We so so many times feel the most defensive when we feel attacked. If a conversation starts to drift towards a topic of conflict, it's okay to raise the flag and name it to tame it. You can say, hey, guys, we're getting into a touchy subject here. Is everyone on board to talk about this? It can provide an opportunity to change the subject if it's not the right time. Look for places where you have common ground. You might strongly believe that the other person that you're talking to is completely wrong. But there's 
probably some crossover in your feelings. Even a little bit of consensus can help you feel like you're moving in the right direction. This is one of the most important ones. When I learned this one, it changed so much for me. Listen with the intention to understand and not respond. Listening is key to making difficult conversations work. Listen with the intention of understanding and learning, not replying or convincing. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. A lot of times these conversations are about opinions, not facts, and nothing can can kill a productive conversation faster than accusations or condescending twists of what somebody has just said. Play fair and remember, there's a chance that you might change your opinion. Sheldon, thank you so much for being here today and helping us talk about a difficult topic. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always fun. We're out of time for today, but tune in next week on Real Talk 93.3 at 1 p.m. for a new episode of Heather Solves Everything. And check for the podcast edition of today's show on your favorite podcast app on Monday morning. Now, if you like Sheldon's ideas, or even if you didn't and have a bone to pick with him, you can find him at Christ Presbyterian Church on Bannerman Road in Tallahassee. You can visit us at cpcusa.org. And you can stay in touch with me and the show on Facebook. Just look for Heather Solves Everything. If you have a problem to solve, visit heathersolveseverything.com and click on Solve My Problems to submit a show topic idea. We will get it done together. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope that something great happens for you today. I'm Healthy Heather, and I'm always here to help you solve everything. Status confirmed. This problem is solved. Well, that's it for this week, guys. We did it. We solved another problem with a little help from our friends. You can be a superhero, too. Check us out online. That's where all the information is about how you can jump in and start solving everything. Heather solves everything with a little help from Everyday Heroes.